The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in exactly the right place. Today's buzz is health. It matters to all of you, wherever you're listening to us, whether you're listening live to us today on Wednesday, March 4th, or you're listening to us later on On Demand. Health impacts everyone, whether you're in the business of healthcare or the business of what we're going to be talking today, or you're just a human being. So listen up. Let's get started. Wearables, I'm talking wristbands, watches, glasses, and contact lenses are the end. BT. Never heard of that. It's either next big thing or yesterday on one of our radio shows, someone said they call NBT the next big trend. I like that better than things. Why is this so important? Why is this in the top of our mind today? Because these wearables can now measure body conditions. That's right. What's going on under the skin? And they could use that data to help you live healthier, help prevent disease, help therapies have better outcomes, and help improve the speed of your rehab if you need it. But we have a couple of questions on the table. Great to have these wearables, but will patients, users, consumers actively track and share the generated data? Everybody has privacy concerns today. Who's going to see what my heart rate is? Who's going to see what my activity rate is? Who's going to see how often I'm pedaling that bike and what my glucose levels are and a lot more. Another question on the table is, are wearables precise enough to meet medical device quality standards? One of our panelists in his notes mentioned, are they any better, more accurate than a mood ring? I don't know, but we're going to find out. That's a blunt way of putting it. And one more question. Will the currently non-healthcare companies that are nosing around the edges of this field, will they enter the competition and come up with great health wearables? So many questions, and we are ready for the answers. First up on our panel, I'd like to welcome a newcomer to SAP Game Changers Radio. She is Lynn Dunbrack. She is the Research Vice President for IDC Health Insights, and Lynn sent me the following quote from Gary Wolf, and she'll tell us a little more about who Gary is after the quote. The quote is, when the familiar pen and paper methods of self-analysis are enhanced by sensors that monitor our behavior automatically, the process of self-tracking becomes more alluring and more meaningful. Lynn Dunbrack, welcome. How are you today? Oh, well, thank you, and thank you, Bonnie, for inviting me to join the show this morning. You know, I think Gary Wolf really hit it here with, um, you know, hit it on the nose here with this whole notion of, you know, technology really enabling us to be better at uh, monitoring our, ourselves. Um, it really has entered, this has really entered into the quantified self-movement, which he co-founded uh, with Kevin Kelly. And we're seeing consumers being much more interested in uh, tracking all manner 
of uh, their health, whether it's their, um, you know, fitness routines or even their, their biometrics. Um, you know, studies show that about 60% of U.S. health, uh, U.S. Americans are actually tracking their symptoms, um, their weight, their diet, their exercise, and 33% are tracking, um, you know, various biometrics, whether it's their blood pressure or blood sugar or headaches and things of that sort. And I think the consumerization of technology, the use of sensors, certainly the sensors that have become um, much more passive, so it's easier for the consumers to use, is really, you know, promoting that trend that, that um, I think could really change our, our health status. Lynn, um, thank you. I'm very intrigued by the word alluring and meaningful. Are we trying to say, is he trying to say, this is sexy to have a wearable and walk around saying, oh, look at my Fitbit. Oh, look Oh, look at the pockets in my jersey I'm wearing when I'm running. I am tracking my heartbeat and my kidney production rate and my liver function. Is this something that's alluring, meaning sexy? What do you think? Or popular or something you brag about? Well, sure. We do see people um, kind of showing off with their their Fitbits and and other sorts of devices, their Jawbones, whatever their their favorite devices, and sort of showing off. I've walked you know my ten thousand steps, and it's not even noontime yet. Um, so you know, I think there is certainly an allure for those folks who you know are really very much in tune to what um, you know they're doing and and really quantifying it and want to keep track of it and and share that information with others. A lot of these devices have a have a social component so that you can actually, you know, tweet your weight or post your um, steps on on Facebook, for example. I personally don't think I would tweet my weight, but others um, <laughs> who are more successful at it might uh, might want to do so. And, and that's actually a very strong component of uh, these solutions as well. Thank you, Lynn. I am with you. Nobody's going to know that. I don't even want to know it myself. What can I say? little vanity there. Let's go to our next panelist. I'm pleased to welcome Greg Ray. He spells it R-E-H in case you're wondering. He is a principal at Deloitte Consulting, and he leads the firm's global life sciences practice. And Greg sent me a quote from Jeff Tangney, and I'm going to ask Greg after the quote to tell us who Jeff is. And the quote is, for a busy doctor, the ability to use email would save more lives than a Fitbit. Wow, Greg Ray, that is provocative. Talk to me and welcome. How are you today? I'm doing well, Bonnie, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. We're delighted. Um, So what does this all mean? So for for those of you who don't know, Jeff um, is the uh, current CEO of uh, Doximity. Uh, He was a founder of Hippocrates uh, prior to that. And the point he was making uh, really... uh, Shows the kind of the complexity of the communication in the healthcare system. And uh, his quote, while provocative, is true in terms of uh, clinicians' ability to communicate in a in a HIPAA compliant way uh, across a secure network uh, is, is certainly already shown a much more uh, uh, positive impact on outcomes than uh, some of the health tracking uh, devices that are currently out there. And you know. It's, that, that really is one of the, the hurdles to overcome as we talk about the, the generation of data. You know, the, uh, the, you already mentioned the security aspects, mm-hmm. uh, but just the consumption of, of that data, you know, all of those complexities uh, certainly are, are part of the roadmap for wearables uh, in the future. Greg, are there any issues in, in terms of privacy and security for doctors to transmit data or communicate data via email? Are there any laws, legislation in the U.S. or globally that would prevent a doctor from doing that? Well, again, it's the, the HIPAA uh, compliance that, that comes into play here. And 
of course, Jeff's uh, company, Doximity, provides the, the HIPAA-compliant uh, means of, of exchanging information amongst uh, clinicians. So uh, that, that is uh, very much a concern in terms of patient privacy and, and, and frankly, and the liability of, of breaking those, uh, those laws is, uh, is top of mind for a number of providers from a technology standpoint. Thank you. I'm, I'm thinking even more of a doctor transmitting test results to a patient. I have friends who are waiting days and days and days for important results, sitting by the phone, carrying the phone everywhere they go. OMG, when is the doctor going to call? When is the nurse going to call and say, the doctor will be with you in 10 minutes and put me on? I think we've all been there. I think we're all of an age where we know what that feels like. And wouldn't yes. it be nice? Wouldn't it just be great to get a, a text message from your doctor? Hey, Greg, everything fine. Don't worry. Go back and do the radio show. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that really be cool? And to me, that would be such an advancement in healthcare because we're worriers. I think that's who we are. But thank you, Greg, very much. Pleasure to speak with you. We have a lot more coming up to for you to contribute to. And coming up, our third panelist, no stranger to Coffee Break with Game Changers. He's been on many times. It's Joe Miles. He's SAP Global Vice President of Life Sciences Industry. And here is a quote from Roger Bate. And I'll ask Joe to tell us who he is. The quote is, connected gadgets that are indistinguishable from their disconnected peers will fuel the growth of wearable technology. What does that mean? Joe Miles, welcome. How are you today? Well, good morning, Bonnie. It's good to hear your voice again, as always. Thank you. The quote was was uh, not so much poignant in terms of the, the content. I think what I, uh, I mean, if you, if you want to look for information on wearables or quotes on wearables, it's, it's about as tough as finding water in the ocean. Um, there's a lot out there, and I think what I thought was interesting about this is that this category and this topic is moving so rapidly. Um, the, I think this, the quote really seemed to, to sum up the essence of where the market is going, and that is if you think about the original Google Glasses that were out that were brought out and some of the the nuances of looking nerdish or just kind of the um, somewhat obtrusive nature of that device. Um, I, I think what's happening very very quickly is the fact that the devices now are going from being you know unique in their own rights to becoming commodities and completely invisible, maybe to the to the user itself. And I think that is. Um, really enabling a much broader level of adoption and a much um, more ubiquitous experience to the user in that it's really seamless to them. And whether you're looking at, um, you know, something as simple as uh, as the um, the various cell phones that are tracking activity from glucose readings for diabetics, for example, and what that, you know, that common scenario to maybe a little bit more, um, you know, uh, innovative side of where the uh, where things like uh, Montblanc, actually, the the watchmaker is actually making a uh, they're not they're not creating a smartwatch, but they're creating a smart band, and they want to maintain the integrity of the of the watch, while also allowing for the band to track all of the different types of of uh, aspects of you know pulse rate and body temperature and, and things like that 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 can be captured for the at the patient level. So, it's I think it, as we continue to see this evolve and very very rapidly uh, move, we're we're seeing the technology uh, the the innovations coming out of the technology really try to become even more ubiquitous and less uh, obvious to the to the end user at the end of the, end of the game. 
Thank you, Joe. Very interesting. Um, I'm going to bring up a point just from personal experience. Sometimes the patient, the consumer, the user of these devices just wants to know for private purposes. We just want to know, how am I doing? How am I health today? Am I doing enough steps? Am I running enough? Am I walking around the house? Am I getting up from my chair enough times? And I'm just wondering if that leads a lot of people to not want to share the data but to do their own lookup on WebMD, on Wikipedia, OMG, my heart rate is now such and such. I took my pulse 12 times in the last hour and a half. It showed it was a little high. Am I within the range? And then have a panic attack because they're trying to self-diagnose. Joe, any, uh, any anecdotal evidence on that? Yeah. I think clearly people, you know, patients are trying to take more control of their own health care. So yes. I think a lot of those are, you know, it's, it's fueling that. And I think the privacy issues are important, but I think they're, what we're seeing is it's maybe they're, they're not as much of the obstacle that we, that we thought. And in many cases, I think com- uh, patients are, are, you know, allowing their, in their information to be anonymously incorporated into um, research scenarios, if you think of the 23andMe scenario and what they're, what they're doing trying to expose genomic information. But I think as people become more cognizant that there's a benefit there, and the fact that, uh, as Lynn had mentioned earlier, that the, the devices themselves become so indistinguishable and really just become part of your fabric, quite literally part mm-hmm. of the fabric of your clothing or of your cell phone, and, and you're able to benefit from that interaction with really in little or no effort on your own part, I think that makes the, the benefit starts to outweigh some of the concerns you may have around uh, privacy, although they still have to be adhered to. I think it starts to, uh, the benefits start to really um, reduce some of the concerns from the patient perspective. Thank you very much. Guess what? I'm going to circle back to Lynn Dunbrack first up on our panel and ask Lynn, you know what's coming? This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, and it doesn't have to be a healthy drink, Lynn, so don't worry about that. <laughs> what are you drinking? What's in your cup right now, or what are you planning to drink after the show? Lynn Dunbrack. Sure. So, you know, I gave this uh, question some uh, some thought, Barney, and, you know, it's early here, so there's nothing really that interesting in, uh, in my cup, but given the fact that i um, calling from Massachusetts, I've had snow up to my hips in my front yard. Um, we had snow last night. It looks like we may have more coming up in the next uh, couple of days. Kind of wish I was calling from a tropical island um, you know, wearing flip-flops and, and having an umbrella drink. So that would be my uh, my fantasy, what's in my cup. It would be, you know, some some tropical rum drink with, with an umbrella and, and maybe a fruit garnish. Oh, I like that. Think about pineapple. I think mine would have pineapple with a little slice of orange next to it. I'm with you, Lynn. I'm in New York. We just had an amazing surprise snowstorm with sleet last night for hours and hours and hours, and we're expecting another one tonight. What can I tell you? Okay, let's move to Greg Ray. Greg, where are you calling from, and what are you drinking? I'm uh, I'm calling from uh, Philadelphia today, Bonnie, and uh, as, as fate would have it, I was supposed to be overseas, and I think my answer would have been much more interesting uh, had I had I been on that trip. But as it turns out, uh, it's uh, as late. I'm, I'm drinking uh, something less exciting, just some leftover Boston Harbor tea that we gave out to uh, a group of folks who came over. Actually, we hosted in Boston last week, so uh, pretty pretty benign, and but probably makes for a more lucid uh, conversation. <laughs> I don't know whether to take you seriously or not. Okay. Is there a flavor to this tea? Come on, Greg, give me a little bit more. What does it taste like? What does it look like? Caffeine? Is it herb? Is it, 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 is it's it... actually branded Boston Harbor Tea. Uh, I guess really? One of our guys found it uh, as, a, as a gift to the French contingent that was uh, visiting. And 
I guess it's a bit of a tourist item. I had never seen it frankly, but it does well, we exist. Did ho- well, Boston did host the original tea party, so why not? Yeah. Why not? Absolutely. Well, drink up. That sounds good. Joe Miles, you've done this so many times before. I hope you have something new and fresh to tell me. What are you drinking today? <laughs> no, still pretty boring, still pretty uneventful. <laughs> I'm drinking my green tea um, and pretty much sitting in a... Uh, Lynn, I hear you from the weather perspective. Being in Chicago, I'm looking at a fairly blustery, um, uh, relatively uh, ugly gray day here in Chicago with uh, just having gone through a bunch of freezing rain. So it's pretty much uh, March in, in Chicago, as typically is the case. So. Yep, green tea. Well, I hope that makes you feel healthy and feel good and feel healthy and wealthy. That's a good thing, Joe. Thank you. And Joe knows from being on the show before that they don't allow Bonnie to have caffeine on radio show days. Why would they? We're good enough with plain water, but it is filtered. I will say that. Just change the filter in the Brita today. Guess what? Our topic today is health wearables. Are they just hype or are they revolutionary in terms of improving healthcare outcomes? Are we going to be healthier, wealthier, and wiser because of them? Are they smart enough to make us healthier? A lot to discuss when we come back with the roundtable. My guests today are Lynn Dunbrack at IDC Health Insights, Greg Ray at Deloitte Consulting Global Life Sciences, and a shout out to Carla Neal and Estelle Van Verde, I think I have her name right, who always like to know when Deloitte people are coming on the show, which is very often, and Joe Miles at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. If you're keeping track, I think this is episode number 171, but even I'm not sure. We'll be right back after the break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back with lots more. Bread out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Welcome back. And our topic today is health wearables, hype or revolutionary, and revolutionary on the good side. So we're going to kick off our roundtable with Lynn Dunbrack at IDC Health Insights. And Lynn sent me a couple of interesting notes before the show. I'm going to read this statement, and then Lynn will run with it. She said, three lifestyle behaviors. I think you can all guess what they are. Smoking, yes, people still smoke. Diet, well, we're always on one or the other or not on one or the other. And lack of exercise. These three behaviors contribute to 
to poor health and they exacerbate chronic conditions, which account for nearly, get ready for this, 75% of health care costs still are from chronic conditions. I'm not surprised. Lynn Dunbrack, why don't you expand this for us, please? Let's start our roundtable. Sure. Well, you know, it's really difficult to change human behavior, particularly things that are so entrenched and so, you know, addictive, you know, like smoking or, you know, overeating or, um, you know, affinity towards high-calorie, fattening-type foods. And, you know, lack of exercise, you know, we're hearing that now, you know, sitting is the new smoking. So Mm -hmm. what can we do to, you know, change behavior? Hard to do it all at once. Exercise is probably one of the ones that, um, you know, we can motivate people to, uh, to change. You know, particularly, again, you know, our topic is wearables, and wearables are, you know, attached with, um, you know, the fitness and activity trackers can really help consumers, you know, measure how much exercise they're getting and, and really make, imp- you know, small improvements, you know, improvements one step at a time, if you will. And I think the other other thing that's interesting, you know, that we look at um, when we look at health status overall is really 30% of it is attributed to, you know, these health behaviors. Um, Really only 20% is, um, you know, associated with clinical care, whether that's access to care at all or the quality of that care. So by being able to change these health behaviors, we can actually, you know, make great improvements in terms of, of health, particularly around chronic conditions. Thank you, Lynn. Greg Ray, talk to us. What do you think? Agree, disagree? Other numbers you want to share? Yeah, I, I would I would agree, Bonnie. I would agree with uh, Lynn's assertions. And from the overall behavioral change aspect, uh, this is you know beyond some of the data uh, complications we talked about before. But behavioral change, which is where uh, many uh, the majority of the applications are today, uh, actually does have. Uh, uh, a role, and certainly a number of our life sciences uh, clients are, are interested, in, particularly in a in a world where outcomes uh, and, and variable based uh, models become really imperative in terms of uh, demonstrating value. So, compliance and uh, and behavioral change in general to to drive those outcomes uh, really becomes a, a key factor in uh, the the therapeutic regimen that uh, any patient is on. So the ability to uh, to impact that uh, certainly has uh, a ton of value. Um, so I mean, the statistics in terms of the uh, the, the social aspects, uh, adoption really is uh, is the key. I think you may have mentioned that in the past, but it, ours and m- multiple studies indicate that adoption uptake is is quick, but then anywhere from a two to three week time span, you know, it drops off pretty precipitously. So uh, ensuring that the you know, that the patient or the user sees value in it, uh, I think is a, is a key aspect that uh, many are starting to think about in a more robust way, and particularly for users that, that really need the, the kind of monitoring that we're talking about versus the uh, more of the, the social aspects of many of the applications that are out there. Thank you, Greg. Joe Miles, let's hear what you have to say. So I think if you look at some of the numbers, you know, you can see wearables technology. I've seen predictions of, you know, units of sales and, and the individual unit growth is to be approaching 130, 150 million units by 2018 or so. And I think from our perspective, uh, we see it kind of splintering off in, in several different areas. I mean, you can look at the, the fitness side and what that represents from improving, you know, personal performance in a fitness context to certainly the healthcare 
uh, scenarios around around reducing cost of chronic care, as well as um, you know from a physician's perspective around how how some of this information can be used to to help. Um, Physicians recommend different protocols based on pop, patient populations and so forth. And I think that as, as we were describing earlier, as the devices and, and the technology continues to advance at the pace at in which it is advancing, um, the ubiquitous nature of these devices is really making it um, a lot easier for patients to take advantage of that. And I think it's pretty demonstrable that, that uh, the market has shown that these devices can have an impact on both patients and patient health. Um, but quality of life uh, in conjunction with those devices. And, again, as they become less invasive, that makes it even simpler. And um, so I think we, we start to see this really um, uh, life science companies really trying to leverage these technologies to, one, get better information about the patients, to, two, have a, a, a more direct impact and in, in, in connection to those patients at some level, and in many respects, too, how they can use the devices in conjunction with uh, a broader view of that, specifically a genomic view of that patient, to identify patient populations that can have a much more um, impactful, that their drugs or their products can have a much more impactful um, impact on their on the individual's health based on that genomic definition, you know, of the patient and population and so forth. So it's pretty exciting on, on a lot of different levels. It, again, I think it's moving very, very rapidly, and we'll continue to see that, see that growth and that uh, the transformation happen very rapidly as, as as the market uh, continues to evolve with these advanced technologies. Thank you, Joe. I I have a question for the whole panel. I brought up in my opening the question of whether these devices are accurate, precise enough, if they're going to meet what we would consider high-quality standards applied to other medical devices. I'm wondering if the older patients who might be the population that skews more toward chronic diseases because they've been around longer and eventually something is more likely to happen, if they're going to be the the generation that's more resistant, I'm talking people in their, let's say, 50s and up, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, my mother is in her late 90s already, if they would be the ones where the doctor would say, okay, I know your lifestyle doesn't include wearing this thing around your arm, but Bob, I really need you to, to be monitoring your glucose levels. First is Bob's grandchild who will look at this market, Joe and, and Lynn and Greg, and say, oh boy, that's cool. I want to have that. I want to know everything about my health. So is there a generational factor in terms of this lifestyle leaning toward or against that we're observing? Joe, you want to take that first and then we'll get the others? Sure. I, I mean, I think for the most part, um, the chronic diseases have been the, the tip of the spear uh, in this market because that's mm-hmm. obviously where the most spend is, is happening. But I think yes. also, too, if you think of the nature of diabetes um, and the impact that a device can have on it is is, is pretty impactful. And if, if you just simply look at the convenience of having to use your cell phone to have a glucose reader built into your cell phone and tracking your, your blood levels and you're doing it at your convenience, you're doing it at your interval, and you're still able to track that information, um, there's a lot of positive, uh, positive aspects of that. And I think whether that's a patient who's doing that or whether that's a caregiver who's helping that patient, um, the, the simplicity and the, um, the benefits that they have, I think, begin to override, as I mentioned before, some of the inconvenience that that might happen. Um, you know, we're, we're continuing to see, I think we've just seen the recent uh, release of the, of the first wireless cell phone that has a wireless signal uh, through, the, through the mobile signal for the glucose readings and so forth and, and being embedded on their actual, on their actual uh, circuit board of the, of the cell phone. So that continues to expand, but just the overall benefit and improvement to the quality of life and the simplicity of the, of the care model, I think, begins to provide tremendous benefits for the patients. 
Thank you. Lynn, Greg, who wants to ch- jump in on this one, add to what Joe just shared? Lynn? Sure. So, so this is Lynn. So, um, you know, having the, having the physician, the trusted medical advisor, recommend mm-hmm. the use of these devices, whether it's, you know, a connected remote health monitoring device, it's more along the lines of, you know, measuring um, blood glucose and hypertension, um, you know, blood pressure and things of that sort. So typically those devices do tend to go, well, are required to go through a 510 FDA clearance. So, you know, they are medical grade um, devices used by consumers, you know, as opposed to, you know, your your fitness tracker, um, you know, which does not go through the same level of, of clearance. Um, having the physician recommend the use of actually any of those types of devices, you know, really goes a long way for, um, you know, consumers to actually adopt them. You know, yes, you do find younger consumers more apt to use more fitness type trackers, um, then, you know, older consumers, but again, they're, you know, more line of being, you know, fitness mavens than perhaps some of the, you know, older consumers. You know, I too have a 90 year old dad and, um, you know, he's not doing 10,000 steps. We're, we're happy if he does mm-hmm. 10. Um, uh, but that's good for him. So, um, you know, I think some of it's, you know, can be relative. Thank you. Greg Ray, talk to us. Well, there's certainly been some great examples. Um, I mean, you mentioned that the elderly where, particularly for uh, specific uh, diseases, uh, monitoring has uh, already had an impact. Um, There are applications out there for for Parkinson's, for example, that that track motion and and can help uh, clinicians modify or or come up with a a particular therapeutic uh, uh, regimen. You know, from for post-discharge, again, especially for for the elderly, uh, there, there are some things out there that It'll track not only the vitals, but really incorporate into overall home health uh, monitoring and start to uh, aggregate data coming from everywhere from the, the toilet to the refrigerator to, you know, a, uh, a, uh, a dispenser to, to track uh, compliance with medication and start to form an mm-hmm. aggregate view of, of patterns to start to potentially predict uh, when an adverse event could happen. So, um and at last example, uh, in fact, it was just recently the USAID it's, it just funded a, uh, a Band-Aid, essentially a Band-Aid-like uh, wearable to start to uh, monitor uh, vitals to track Ebola uh, and really create a whole uh, tracking mechanism in West Africa. So there's, there's a number of, uh, of examples where, where wearables are already having a tangible impact. Right. And, and Bonnie, if I could just add here, mm-hmm. sure. Uh, you know, our research suggests that, um, you know, particularly for these sorts of devices, as opposed, you know, the aging in place type devices, as mm-hmm. opposed to some of the others, there's a much, much greater willingness for consumers to actually pay out of pocket for them, not only for the device itself, but even for the services, the monitoring services, and in, in part because. You know, the the adult children want peace of mind that mom and dad are actually mm-hmm. you know taking care mm-hmm. of their um, you know activities of daily living that you know they have they haven't fallen um, and if they have someone is able to come um, and, and help them get up whether it's a first responder or a neighbor or themselves depending upon the circumstance um, so they're much more willing willing to pay for you know that peace of mind and also the trade off if the if the parent is no longer able to live at home. Safely, um, you know, it's a very expensive alternative to you know move into an assisted living 
um, facility or a nursing home. So, you know, paying the $100 a month or whatever it might be, you know, to for, um, you know, an emergency response, mm-hmm. personal emergency response system um, is an economic trade-off, you know, until the point that the, that the parent actually really needs, you know, more attention than what can be, you know, accomplished through these various sensor devices. Um, but it, it was interesting when, in looking at our research where, you know, that was sort of a tipping point in terms of what people were actually willing to pay for and not expect their health plans to be reimbursing them for these, you know, these sorts of um, wearable devices. Great points, Lynn. Um, you know, all of this. Yeah, we'll go ahead, Joe. From, uh, I think what's interesting on the comments mm-hmm. are made is that we're seeing both the traditional areas, as, as, as Lynn was trying to lay out in terms of tracking specific metrics about the body and so forth, but the behavioral aspect now is starting to come into play, and, and there's some really interesting scenarios, whether there's a, there's a Korean uh, institute that has uh, developed a, uh, a skin-mounted tattoo, if you will, that uh, monitors uh, goosebumps and emotional responses to stimulus, uh, primarily more in a consumer um, stimuli or kind of an advertising context around what is the response to that, but yet looking at kind of behavioral aspects to other areas where using the more cell phone, you know, regiment where if a patient um, who's come out of a certain procedure or has a certain uh, maybe health background, if they haven't used their cell phone and haven't called anyone for maybe a day or two, maybe they haven't the GPS is uh, allow they can determine that they haven't left their house in three days. Uh, those are precursors to depression of sorts, different types of depression. Mm-hmm. And should we have someone, should we send a notification to a family member or to uh, to a care provider that can go in and check in on that individual? So I think it's, again, it, it's moving so rapidly. Now we're starting to see the examples in a behavioral sense, which are really somewhat the non-traditional, almost qualitative aspects of some of these measurements, uh, but can certainly have um, very very poignant uh, impact on, uh, on patient safety and, uh, and, and patient health. Great points. I, you know, all of this reminds me, we're, we're talking about lifestyle changes and people adopting and adapting these new devices. And I'm thinking when you're a kid, you go to the doctor and he or she wants to give you a shot or a special test and you don't want to, what do they do? They give you a stuffed animal or a doll or a game or they give you a lollipop, right? Or you get a Band-Aid with funny characters on it. I'm wondering if there's a way to make this emotional fun for people who are not going to buy in just because it's cool to have a monitoring device, but say, hey, look at this, it's really cool and you don't have to call the doctor and you don't have to go as often as it's going to be really fun and you can tell your kids about it. So that's just me uh, just schmoozing about it. I think there might be a an FUN fun aspect to, I'm not saying treat older people like babies, but something that will appeal to their sense of it's not only good for me, but it's something that will, I don't know, make me smile. Just me talking. Now, let's go on to another area here. Greg Ray, I'm looking at your discussion notes you sent me before the show. We've been talking about the patient, the consumer. We've been talking about lifestyle. We've been talking about adopting. Now I'd like to focus on the healthcare industry. And I'm looking in your notes. You say the healthcare industry needs to recognize the value in creating, manufacturing, making these devices available. And you pointed out four areas. I'm just going to read the four titles, and then I'd like you to expand, and then we'll have Joe and Lynn chime in. You say the rationale, the validity, the reliability, and the evidence. So why don't you share with us, Greg, what are we focusing on here? Sure. Um, the, the four points in terms of the rationale, I mean, there, there's got to be a, a return on investment in terms of the uh, uh, putting this kind of a, a system, whether it's monitoring or otherwise, in place. And we've already talked a bit about, you know, uh, outcomes and, and its role in a, in a value-based 
model environment, which is going to continually evolve. Um, so you you quickly get beyond population health uh, type topics to again very specific disease and compliance with therapeutic uh, regimen uh, kinds of topics, and that's at least from a life sciences uh, standpoint where uh, a lot of that value is going to be generated. Uh, I mean, the, even some of the uh, to your earlier point, uh, there are discontinuation uh, risk models that are developed to. to Try and anticipate based on a variety of, uh, of inputs, you know where p- uh, patients uh, would would fall off the regimen, and, and that's you know one of the the, the biggest challenges uh, for for any kind of a, a therapy is uh, is compliance. So, to the extent that uh, wearables can assist in ensuring compliance, you know there, there's a tremendous amount of value associated with that. In terms of the uh, the validity, uh, we've already talked a bit about data accuracy. Mm-hmm. Um, in order for uh, for it to, uh, it, you know, a lot of the current wearables are notorious and notoriously uh, inaccurate, and that, that's the uh, the reference to the mood ring uh, earlier. Um, but as the uh, as the technology becomes more sophisticated, and the uh, the data accuracy uh, becomes uh, more usable, uh, you know that. Is certainly going to be a, a harbinger for a broader adoption, and there, there are a number of factors that will come into uh, play. There, not only the biomechanical aspects of how certain uh, signs are are actually captured, um, but you know there there are some new technologies, uh, everything from ingestibles to uh, uh, advances in in how the uh, the skin is monitored that I think will greatly uh, advance that. Um, close. Cousin to that is the uh, the reliability, and, and again, from a from a data perspective, we've already talked about the HIPAA aspects, um, but just the, the volume of data and how to uh, actually gain value out of that uh, enormous amount of data. Um, integration with the legacy EMR systems. I mean, there are a number of, of technology issues that have to be tackled to ensure the reliability of, of uh, any of the insights that are being derived from this. And then I guess lastly, uh, around the evidence, uh, you know, and this is where the, the FDA is, is, is keenly aware and just recently published uh, their guidance on, uh, on wearables and what, what they will and will not uh, regulate. But, um, you know, what the data is being used for uh, is certainly a key in terms of determining whether a 510K is, is required or not. So, you know, how the data is being used, once, once, uh, once we are able to uh, uh, ensure that it's accurate, we can manage it, uh, what it's being used for in terms of the insights and impact on clinical decisions is uh, kind of the last horizon. Thank you. Joe Miles, talk to me about uh, what do you think about what Greg said, companies should or shouldn't do this. Well, I think it, uh, you said on a lot of really, I think, relevant points, and I think both speakers have mentioned earlier that, you know, there there is certainly a demarcation point between the just simply fitness tracking and and true medical device tracking or, or healthcare tracking type devices. And initially, FDA ruled for some of these devices that there was not a requirement to uh, to be submitted as a as in a 510k for a medical device designation. I think as as this market has evolved, there's a natural I think evolution that companies who are real serious and from the from the therapeutic side of the house are are making their devices compliant to that they're submitting them they're getting approvals and I think you th- you, you could see things as as, as ubiquitously as uh, or 
uncharacteristically a, a network actually being submitted as a uh, as a medical device because it is transmitting uh, therapeutic information that diagnoses are being made on that. So there's there is a I think a point of, of that that is really changing the marketplace in terms of the, t- the type and the role of the device in that view. The technology continues to advance, moving very very quickly, but yet mm-hmm. it's um, the use and the intent is is, is driving that. I think Greg touched just briefly on something that none of us really have talked about, but it is, is certainly important, is that what these devices are doing at their, at their core is, is capturing a whole lot of data. So um, it is not uncommon at all in some clinical contexts where they're using data potentially for a clinical trial, or devices, I'm sorry, for a clinical trial. You could be gathering as much as a, a terabyte of data uh, per mm. patient um, per day. Um, for some of these um, scenarios. So the data can be extraordinarily large, and our ability then to, to garner any type of insights and understand that data is a whole other conversation around that, and, and your ability to understand the algorithms and the science behind that um, in some respects maybe could be lost amongst all of the data. So the, the ability of, uh, of, of organizations, whether they be at the clinical uh, provider level or at the life science manufacturing level or anywhere in between, uh, understanding the nature of the data and what the data is telling you um, and what it means uh, at a therapeutic level and what it means from a patient um, quality of life or just healthcare perspective is is, uh, is 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 significant. So I think that's a that's a key area that will continue to evolve and and I think the easy part of this discussion is that we will continue to see really wild use cases and some really fascinating technologies come out from the from these companies um, and whether you're talking about a partnership of of uh, HTC and Armorall, which is a recent one, or, or Apple or Samsung doing the the, um, the ear plugs that are measuring your heart rate, you're going to continue to see those types of developments. How that ultimately impacts the patient healthcare model from a from a device perspective will be a little bit longer conversation, but I think we're going to continue mm-hmm. to see that evolution happen very quickly. Well, we might have to come back later in the year and have a part two on this conversation, Joe. Good idea. Thank you. Lynn Dunbrack, join us. What do you think about uh, what Greg Ray put on the table and Joe's comments? Sure. I think I agree with both gentlemen. I think we could certainly have a whole topic just on uh, the user-generated data that comes off of these devices, whether they're FDA-regulated or not. Um, you know, I think that's a great concern to physicians is just that liability of the data that's coming across you know, to them. So if they're getting all of this data from um, a consumer's device, again, whether it's a, um, you know, not FDA-regulated fitness tracker or, um, you know, a regulated um, remote health monitoring device. And I, I do make the distinction, you know, between the two, although increasingly these remote health monitoring devices are becoming, you know, wearable unto themselves, um, you know, the Band-Aids, the ingestible, uh, uh, you know, pill um, monitoring devices. Um, you know, the real concern is if something has happened and the patient sent over this data and the physician didn't act upon it, so, you know, what's their liability, um, you know, what's their medical liability for that? Um, you know, they're also very concerned about the, um, you know, integrity of that data. And, again, you know, particularly some of the, the, the fitness trackers, you know, people have done all kinds of tests where they've worn several different trackers and measured, you know, their steps, and they've been, you know, off by, you know, 100 steps or so. You know, if you're talking about tracking steps, probably not, you know, important that it be accurate, but it's not a matter of life and death. But, you know, other biometrics, certainly, you know, you want it to be spot-on accurate. So and I think there's some real challenges with the, with the data integrity. And then, you know, bringing in it plays into the whole notion of, of um, you know, big data, as Joe pointed out, with the terabytes of data being created. You know, now you've got volume, veracity, and, and, and um, 
and variability in that in that data set. So some really important issues, and, and I think we could probably do a whole talk just on that. I think we're looking at a part two already. You just confirmed it, Lynn. Greg Ray, we've <laughs> gone around the table on what you set out for us to discuss. Any thoughts before I moved in a slightly different direction with Joe? No, I think we've captured the uh, the essence of both the, the upside as well as the challenges. So uh, I think it was a good discussion. We're good. I just found an article uh, by a Dr. Richard Hugh, I believe, and he's on uh, Wired.com on the Sherlock Holmes effect of wearables. Just an interesting, it looks like a personal slash professional point of view, and I tweeted it at hashtag SAP Radio, so you might want to go and uh, and take a peek after the show. Joe Miles, I'm looking at your notes here, and we've covered an awful lot of what you said, uh, all good stuff, but there's something we haven't talked about. I think we've been, the mindset has been uh, Western focused in terms of who these consumers are and the patients are and the doctors and the HIPAA laws and the manufacturers. And now you say, and this this to me is very intriguing, the Internet will provide access and care for patients in emerging markets with limited resources and or healthcare practitioners. So why don't we expand? We have a few minutes till we go into our, our crystal ball predictions round. Joe, you want to take us into how this is wearables, if people can afford them or if they can be donated, how they will help in emerging markets? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting topic, and it's one that's certainly just kind of starting at, at some levels. But but um, the cell phone in particular is providing a you know an opportunity to uh, to get access for people to get access to information and to um, to connect with um, with their physicians uh, who may or may not be located you know locally in some of the rural uh, portions of, of Africa, for example, and where healthcare is effectively non-existent. Their ability to use a, to have a cell phone that can capture simple um, biometrics from on their in their patient uh, situation, whether it be uh, just a checkup or whether it maybe is a diabetic type patient, and then being able to have a conversation and interaction with a physician who might be in one of the major cities in Nairobi or you know in Cairo or somewhere like that. That um, you know it, it starts to expand that that uh, that envelope, envelope of care and, and it starts to get care out to the the outer reaches of that, and it's doing it in a in a in a sense of you know trying to leverage. Whatever communication technologies that are out that are available, um, you know we've already seen companies like Intuitive Surgical with their robotic technologies and, and how a physician potentially in San Francisco could actually be conducting a, a surgery, a surgical procedure in in inner Africa, you know, sub-Saharan Africa. Um, that's available today. Um, that some of the the specifics around, you know the. Um, uh, uh, just the diagnostics and trying to preventative uh, preventative um, scenarios where we're just trying to get a, a consistent level of care to to patients in those in those markets is just emerging and, and there's certainly a lot of socioeconomic and, and just broader cultural um, issues that, that are have to be dealt with and certainly working closely with the governments and the and the NGOs in those in those areas um, uh, are, will be critical but it, uh, it these te- technologies begin to reduce the cost make it easier to get access to information um, and effectively begin to bring quali- some level of quality of care to some very remote areas thank you Lynn Dunbrack what do you observe uh, on this topic Joe just brought up from your point of view at IDC Health Insights sure so we you know as a national firm or a global firm rather with analysts um, you know, in over 100 countries, it's really fascinating for us to get, you know, some of the best practices and lessons learned from from other regions, and and in particularly in in emerging markets where, 
you know, they're not necessarily bounded by some of the legacy technologies that we have in place and are able to really leapfrog in um, the applications of these, you know, newer technologies. Um, so really fascinating to watch, um, you know, what China is able to do, um, increasing um, attractiveness of actually wearables in that particular marketplace. Of course, some of that's due to the rising uh, middle class. But even using, you know, mobile applications as part of, um, you know, the delivery of care. Similarly, um, you know, in India we're seeing some fascinating uses of, of mobile technology to provide care, you know, out into the villages, um, you know, beyond the major cities. And so, um, you know, I think sometimes, um, you know, to, to use an old adage, that, um, you know, the necessity is the motherhood of inventions. And so it's, it's a great opportunity for us here at IDC to watch what's going on, um, you know, with what our colleagues are tracking in, in their specific regions. Thank you. Greg Ray, thoughts? Well, I, I would agree. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen similar things. I, uh, I already mentioned the, the USAID funding of the, um, the patch to track Ebola in West Africa. Um, we ourselves have done work with USAID on, on some uh, prenatal use cases in, uh, in Tanzania, uh, to Joe's point, with some, some simple biometric capturing and have seen a significant uh, uh, increase in terms of the, both the adoption and, and the uh, prevention of, uh, of issues, particularly in situations where you know, the nearest clinic might be uh, 50 miles away. So uh, there are very tangible uh, uh, examples of, of where that's made a difference. Uh, even even in some of the studies and, and experiments that uh, we've participated in with our, our clients in the in the U.S. Uh, in in some uh, rural rural uh, uh, locales. Uh, so I think the, the the combination of that value that we talked about before, particularly for those individuals with uh, either chronic or very uh, uh, key conditions where the monitoring is it's very clear and in their self uh, best interest uh, there's some there's a huge impact that uh, that this can have thank you Lynn I want to address the uh, the old adage you just brought up necessity is the mother of invention I had the futurist and author Thornton May on one of our shows yesterday the show was um, Digital World with Game Changers Radio, one of our newer series, and he brought up a quote from the editors of New Scientist magazine that I think will intrigue you in the panel. And right after this, we're going to go into our predictions round. The quote was, when it's steam engine time, people will invent steam engines. Major innovations occur not when an inventor is struck by a bolt from the blue, but when the scientific and social conditions are ripe. So I think that's what we're talking about, Lynn, Greg, and Joe, Joe in particular, about what when we need these to be around, when we need companies to come together and say, yes, the time has come. That's when we're going to see these innovations. Anybody want to comment on that quote? Happy to start, uh, Bonnie. I mean, it's yeah. clear there have been many. We don't need to talk about the uh, the need to bend the, uh, the healthcare cost curve. Uh, I think the uh, the time is now, and, and the innovations around everything from behavioral change and lifestyle change to actual chronic disease monitoring. Uh, it, it's very germane and has to be a part of the solution as we uh, you know, try to tackle uh, the overall healthcare questions that we have in front of us. Thank you. And I would Lynn? I would add that the consumerization of technology has really made a huge huge difference. The fact that you know consumers of all walks of life actually um you know basically have a computer in their pocket. And 
and, and it doesn't matter really their economic status per se, because we're actually finding and looking at, you know, our, our research shows that, um, you know, the folks that might be economically disadvantaged may not be carrying the latest and greatest of, of the iPhones, but they might have, you know, a fairly basic um, smartphone because that's the really access to, to the Internet. Um, you know, and similarly, older consumers are using, you know, this technology may be provided to, to them by their, um, you know, adult children, or, you know, they're getting on FaceTime or Facebook, rather, so they can communicate, um, you know, with their grandkids. So they're getting used to using, you know, these sorts of technologies, whether it's social, mobile, the the wearables are becoming much more, um, you know, let, less obtrusive, um, much more passive, and so they're much more comfortable using this technology. And I think that that has made a big difference that um, and will certainly be something that will, you know, continue to promote the, the use of these technologies. Thank you. Guess what? It's time for predictions. I've got one minute left apiece for each of you for predictions. So, Lynn Dunbrack, you're up first. Fast forward. Can you go to 2020? Do you see that clearly in the IDC Health Insights crystal ball? Whatever the time is, tell me. And go ahead. Predictions, one minute. Go. Sure. So we definitely see an increase in these technologies. We think that by 2020, 70% of um, healthcare organizations will be deploying, you know, these technologies to better engage uh, their constituents. Okay. Well, that was brief and to the point. Greg Ray, talk to me at Deloitte. <laughs> I would agree. I mean, I think there's no question that the healthcare ecosystem has shifted and will continue to shift to a patient-centric model. And as such, uh, you know, the wearables can help shape the, uh, the quality of life and the quality of care. And with the advances in technology, I mean, we're still early on, but by 2020, uh, we, we certainly feel that we'll overcome the, the integration from a data standpoint, from the ability to manage information uh, across that ecosystem. Uh, there's a ton of investment. Uh, just uh, venture funding alone has increased fivefold over the last four years. So there's, there's definitely a market there, and, and the proper R&D is being conducted. Uh, we're going to see more, uh, more actual FDA-approved uh, devices, and uh, we certainly feel it's going to have a, an impact in the long term. Thank you. Joe Miles, I saved a minute for you as well. Please go ahead. Sure. So I think we're at a time where the necessity and the opportunity to leverage these devices to, uh, to reduce the cost of care and to improve you know, patient outcomes, I think, is, is upon us. And I think we're going to continue to see uh, these devices uh, iterate and proliferate around a very, as Greg was pointing out, a very patient-centric model as patients begin to con- or continue to take more control of their own um, health care. I think, you know, uniquely within the market itself, it's fascinating to see how uh, these devices, I think, are going to become less and less obvious and become more a part of the fabric, in some cases quite literally, the fabric of, of some mm-hmm. of these um, the ways that they are delivered to the patients through the various types of, of um, whether it's in clothing or whether it's a tattoo of sorts and so forth. I think we're going to continue to see the use cases, um, the, the sophistication of the use cases um, grow in the same way that the technology has grown. And I think that also fuels um, the discussion we had around most of these will probably have to be submitted as a, uh, as a medical device to a 510K submission to, the, to agencies like FDA. Um, and I think that's just going to be a factor of the, the capabilities and the technology and the awareness and the knowledge grows. The, our ability to impact the patient will become more so and obviously going directly to, uh, to more of a therapeutic uh, situation, which would require uh, that submission. So it's going to be a fascinating time. 
Thank you. I have a prediction of my own. I just came up with this, and there's no time for you to agree or disagree, but it's simply that very smart uh, geriatric healthcare providers, doctors, nurses, uh, wherever the seniors are going who have chronic disease or new diseases, new issues, that when they do the patient profile with the older patient, they might start to ask, do you have a grown-up child or a grandchild or great-grandchild who is a user of wearable devices? Do they use a Fitbit? Do they use a tracker? Do they have sensors in their shirt when they play tennis or when they run or walk? Because maybe you'd want to bring the family in to encourage grandma or grandpa to be a user of wearables as well. Just a thought. I'm putting it out there. It would be something to do with lifestyle. It remains to be seen. I want to say a special thank you to Lynn Dunbrack at IDC Health Insights. Nice to meet you, Lynn. Thanks so much for sharing your insights. Same with Greg Ray at Deloitte Consulting. And I do have a shout-out, of course, to Carla Neal and Estelle Van Lierde. I got it right this time. Thank you, Estelle. And Joe Miles at SAP. Always great to see you and talk to you. And Susan Rafizada at SAP. She's the brilliant person who put this panel together. Big shout out to Susan. Thank you also to Malcolm Kimberlin at SAP for tweeting. And let's see, I can also predict we'll be back this afternoon, 3 p.m. Eastern with a new edition of the Customer Edge with Game Changers. And tomorrow we have a great 10 a.m. Eastern show on, what have we got? We've got the uh, Future of Business with Game Changers. We have 10 series now, so I get all my children confused. Here's my shout out. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today and stay healthy. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.